Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series in the book of Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Joshua chapter number three this morning, and I'm excited to continue our study of the book of Joshua. We've been in it now uh, for just a few weeks, and today we're going to cover two whole chapters of the book. And I'm excited about joining in with Israel on one of the most eventful turning points in their history. But before we get into the message, I just want to say to you today, happy National Coffee Day. I just want to say that. And uh, if you're a Christian, you are all about coffee. No. (laughs) I saw that today. I said, really? I didn't know there was a day for that. That's great. And uh, so happy National Coffee Day to you this morning. (laughs) Let's take our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 as we join in with Israel in their journey into the promised land. Now, last week, we looked at the faith of an individual by the name of Rahab. And if you weren't here last week and did not get a chance or you were serving in another place, you did not get a chance to listen to the message, I'd encourage you to go and listen to last week's on the podcast um, or check out the live stream and go and watch it and see um, the story of what God did through the life and through the faith of an individual by the name of Rahab. But today we transition from the faith of an individual and we move to the faith of a nation, an entire nation, Israel, as they take that step now across the Jordan River into the promised land that God had given to them. Now, we've got to keep in mind, again, and I've mentioned it a few times in our series already, but you've got to keep in mind as you look at the book of Joshua, we have to remember this is not just a record about an ancient group of people's travels. That's not all that it is. For us today, as believers in Jesus Christ, New Testament Christians we call ourselves, the book of Joshua for us uh, is also about our lives. It's also about our church, and it's also about what God wants to do through the lives of those who trust him. And the book of Joshua is a book about the victory of faith and the glory that comes to God and the joy that comes to us when you truly trust and obey Jesus Christ and follow after him. You know, in in the story of Israel, there's a lot of great pictures, of course, and uh, obviously salvation is a big part of that. And we see that uh, in Israel's coming out of Egypt. There's always a picture of sin. And we see how God rescued them from that and brought them across the Red Sea. And, uh, and how they're saved. And that's a wonderful story, of course. But Joshua is not so much about the salvation of a people as it is the continuing on and moving into what God has promised to them. See, salvation is a wonderful time, isn't it? Salvation is an awesome moment. But, uh, but the Christian walk is a lifetime. It's pursuing God for your entire life and, and walking and, and pursuing after him by faith. And so for us this morning, as we get into our passage and as we follow Israel, as they move uh, from the wilderness where they've been for 40 years and move into the promised land, I want to remind each of you and I want to challenge each of you right away at the very beginning that there is still much of God's will left for each of you to discover. I want you to know that. There is still a lot of God's will ahead of your life. No matter what age you are, there is still aspects of God's will that he wants you to experience. And so we'll see that this morning in order to fulfill and, or to experience God's abundant and fulfilling life 
It's going to involve some steps of faith. And so let's get right into the message this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I've kind of divided the two chapters up into, two, into three different uh, points. There's a few sub things that we'll talk about. But we begin uh, with Israel this morning, of course, and specifically Joshua making uh, in our passage a statement of faith. And so number one this morning is Israel's statement of faith. Let's look at Joshua chapter three. I'll begin reading in verse number one. It says, and Joshua rose early in the morning to make the coffee. Oh, no, no, that's not. <coughs> I'm sure that he did. <clears throat> he seems that kind of guy. So he rose early in the morning. This is, uh, I'm speaking of him and the nation. And they removed from Shittim. That's where they had been staying. And came to Jordan. That's the river. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it that ye may know the way by which ye must go. And this is an interesting phrase. For ye have not passed this way before. You have not gone this way before. Now, last time we heard about the spies that had been sent out. And so Joshua, when he got the information back from the spies that an entire city of Jericho was trembling, they were fearful because of what God had been doing through Israel. He said, all right, now we know it's time for us to go. And so he gets up and it sounds so simple in this passage, but literally 2 million people then get up and make the 11 kilometer trip uh, from Shittim where they'd been staying all the way to the Jordan River. Think about 2 million people having to get up and to move. I mean, this was not a small thing. I think sometimes when we read the story, we imagine like Joshua and like 50 people, you know, it's like, all right, guys, let's go. You know, I mean, this was a big operation. And so they get up and they go to the, the river Jordan and they come uh, right to the edge of it. And then it says here that they stopped for three days. And you say, well, why did they stop for three days? Well, imagine communicating to 2 million people, right? Now, Israel was very well organized. We know that already. They knew they were organized by their tribes. Uh, they were very uh, locally connected that way. There, of course, were then leaders above that and then leaders above that. And then there was Joshua who would speak to a small group and then the, the information would be disseminated down. It would go from there. And very quickly, they could get information out. But to organize and to prepare 2 million plus people for this journey across the river, I mean, they needed some time to do that. And so I believe that's why they stopped there for those three days. Uh, but as well, we have to notice, uh, now uh, we'll notice it later on in verse number 15, but when they got to the Jordan River, something was happening. It was the springtime and the Jordan River, because of the snowmelt off of Mount Hermon during the spring, was typically uh, overflowed or uh, over, what's the word? Overflowing its banks. Now, normally the Jordan River in many spots is about 100 feet uh, wide, and it's usually like uh, eight or nine feet deep. So it's not a very deep river, it's wide. But during the time of flooding, it could be anywhere to 200 feet uh, wide. It could be, you know, 15 or 20 feet deep and, and rushing very, very quickly. And so when they got there, you have to imagine these people getting to the edge of the Jordan River and seeing a rushing river uh, that if you stepped into it, you'd disappear. That's a big deal. I mean, this, this is not just like an ordinary thing. And so they arrive at the Jordan River. The river's flowing very, very fast. And it would have seemed, of course, like a difficult situation, but here they were. <laughs> here they were at the edge of the Jordan River, just on the other side of it, the promised land, 
that God had given to them. And so Joshua says, let's go, let's get ready. And then he gives some instructions to the priest. Did you see that there in the passage? He told the priest to uh, get the ark of God. Now the ark of God was a, uh, a physical manifestation uh, of the presence of God. And God's presence literally dwelled within that uh, ark between the, the wings of the cherubim. And there's all sorts of really cool stuff surrounding that. But the Israelites would carry that around and priests would carry it on their shoulders uh, on these two poles there before they'd be carrying it. And they would oftentimes, almost, always the ark would go in front of the people. And so the people would see it and they'd say, all right, God is with us. God is going with us. And so that's what takes place here. He says, I want the priests to pick up the ark. I want them to go ahead just like God had led them uh, with the pillar of cloud and fire before. And so the ark of God was to go ahead of them. And notice how he said, I want you to stay back uh, uh, 2,000 cubits. That's, a, that's about 3,000 feet. And so uh, 900 meters Almost a kilometer, they were to stay away from it. Now, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, it, uh, uh, there's obviously the, the, the sense of God's power. You, some of you know the stories about people who touched the ark and, and, and lost their life as a result of that. But Joshua kind of tells us why he wanted them to go ahead of us. That's, what, that's why I sort of slowed down there at the, at the end of verse number four. He says, I want them to go. Why? That ye may know the way by which ye must go, for you have not this passed, uh, you've not passed this way before. See, the ark going ahead of them meant to the children of Israel that God was going before them. And they were to follow after the ark. They were to follow God, in essence, into this promised land. Anytime the nation moved forward, we always see God going before them. And that's just a great principle for life, isn't it? Whenever you enter into new territory into your life, whenever you're faced with a big decision in your life, would you make sure that God is going before you in that? Would you make sure that, that you are following after him for that decision and not after your own desires? Make sure that God is leading the way. And so the officers had been preparing. Uh, the people were ready. The priests had grabbed the ark. And then Joshua says this to the people in Joshua chapter 3 and verse number 5. And Joshua said unto the people, say those next two words with me. What do you say? Sanctify yourselves. Joshua says to the people, sanctify yourselves. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He will do wonders among you. That's the title of my message today, wonders among you. And it's tomorrow, he says, if you'll sanctify yourself, God is going to do wonders among you. Now, this statement that we see here is a promise and it is a command. It's a promise and it's a command. Because the fulfillment of this promise depended upon Israel's obedience to the command. And this brings us to a very important principle, uh, principle about the Word of God. I want you to understand. I want to take a second here and just sort of uh, just cover this. Here's the thing. When it comes to the promises of God, I think you guys understand this, but I want to make it clear. Some of God's promises are unconditional. And all we have to do is simply believe in that promise, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be true. God's promise uh, is unconditional, okay? But other promises that God has given us require that we meet certain conditions, have you noticed that throughout scripture? Some promises are like unconditional. For example, today we read in Hebrews 3, uh, 13, verse number five, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Boom. Okay. That's a promise. That is unconditional. It doesn't matter how far you are from God. God is still there. Okay. So God will never leave you nor forsake you. But then there's some promises in the word of God that are conditional. Think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What does he say? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine understandings. Right. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he what? 
shall direct thy path. So that's a conditional promise. He says, if you trust in me, and if you allow me to guide you in all things, then uh, your path will be made plain. Then I'll show you the direction you want to go. That's a conditional promise based off of our desire to follow God. And then God says, I'll come along and do it. So, so there's these two different things. Now, when it comes to a conditional promise, when we meet the condition, it is not, uh, just understand this, it's not because you're earning God's blessing, but what is happening is you are preparing your heart for God to work. You're preparing your heart for God's blessing for you. Oftentimes, I think we miss out on the blessings of God because our hearts are just not ready to receive it. We're not ready to receive it. We've, we've heard uh, even in the story in, uh, in, in Mark and a couple of the gospels about the soil and the heart, you know, the soil of our heart and how it needs to be ready and prepared to hear. Otherwise, it makes no, uh, there's no effect to it. And so th- this is uh, to the children of Israel, though, this is a promise and a command. He says, sanctify yourselves and then the Lord will do wonders among you. So what does he mean by sanctify themselves? Now, if you look at the pattern that's been given to Israel all the way back to Mount Sinai, sanctify yourselves meant something very specific. And here's what it meant. It meant that every person in Israel during this time was to uh, bathe. Amen. (laughs) Okay, now this is 2,000 year ago culture, all right? Water, clean water was not the same as it is today. Today, bathe all the time, all right, please. But in that day, it was, it was something that didn't happen very often. And so they would, everyone, everyone would bathe. And then everyone uh, would also then change their clothes, have like a complete clean uh, change of clothes. That was part of the sanctification process. And then uh, those that were married were to refrain from physical intimacy. Interesting. That was part of the sanctification. And the point of it was that everyone, including those were to completely and wholeheartedly devote themselves to God for that time of sanctification. And so I imagine that's what happened here. That's what Joshua was saying to Israel. I need all of you to sanctify yourselves, meaning you need to uh, uh, have a physical expression of cleanliness in order for God to truly work and to do something uh, through them. Now, this, this whole picture of cleansing before God can use us is something that's carried into the New Testament as well. If you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And then in verse 21, he says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, that's the dishonorable vessels, right? He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. And then look at that last line. And prepared unto every good work. You see that there? He's talking about the idea of cleansing, of purifying ourselves so that we may be prepared for God's work to be done through us. You know, if you were to, if you were to face uh, today a nice uh, clean glass uh, over here and, and you needed a drink, you had a nice clean glass, and then over here was a glass that one of my boys had gotten a hold of. And, uh, you know, there was uh, some fingerprints on it and there were some floaties, little uh, shredded weed in there, you know, and in the bottom and, and uh, maybe some lip marks, chocolate, of course, because they always have chocolate on their face and and if I were to offer to you, hey, uh, I, hey, have a drink. Hey, just pick whatever glass you want. Automatically, whoop, we're going to the clean one, right? And, and God is just as smart as us, by the way, okay? God uses clean vessels. God uses clean vessels. And so for us as believers, we need to recognize that there needs to come a time of cleansing in all of us so that God can use us. See, often what we want, and this is how we think as Christians, we want the wonder without the washing, right? And, uh, and we, want, we want God's blessing without being broken about our sin. 
And, and listen, church, we got to recognize that if we're going to be used, if God's going to take us to other levels and greater heights of, of walking with him, it is because you are going to get to a point where you sanctify yourself and you cleanse yourself and you get rid of those sins that are besetting you and you put aside those things that are keeping you from truly following God and you get prepared and you get ready for God to do something in your life. And so for Israel, that's the step. For them, it was a physical, it was a, it was a representation of what was to take place, but they knew what was going on in their hearts as well. And they were cleansing themselves and they were preparing themselves to receive the blessing of the promised land. And so in verse number six, it continues. And Joshua said, uh, spake unto the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. Oh man, this would have been crazy to be there. <laughs> oh, they're like, I don't know if they're like super ripped priests. I kind of imagine they were, you know? And they get that ark up, you know, and they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before the people and they walked before the nation of Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, this day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. A great little promise there to Joshua in the middle of it. Verse number eight. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Wait, okay, when you get to the river, stand in the middle of the river is what they're saying. <laughs> and Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. He calls me, he says, I want, you to, I want you to hear this. And Joshua said, hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. These are all groups of people that have rebelled against God. And Israel was to come in. And then he says this in verse number 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Some promises and then again instruction. And then in verse number 12, he says, Now therefore take you 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. I love how he put that in there. The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan. And the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. So Joshua here, he gives the priests and he gives the people their instructions. And then we see him make this clear statement of faith about the people of Israel. I want you to notice that the statement that Joshua made was not about him. Did you see that? It wasn't about him at all. It wasn't about follow me and hey, let, you know, look at me, nothing. It was all about that God is the one. God is all powerful. God is the one who's gonna do this amazing thing. And if it's gonna happen, God's gonna have to do it. And that's what he's saying here. True spiritual leaders always point people to the Lord and not to their own greatness. And dads, in your home, you need to point your kids' hearts to God and not to yourself. Moms, you need to point your kids' hearts to God and not just to yourself. At your workplace, at your workplace, though you may be the, the best worker in your, in your office, don't point people to you, point people to Christ, okay? And that's what we see Joshua doing. He gives God all of the glory for this, and he puts their eyes uh, where they need to be. And, and I want you to notice here, he, he, he reminds them of some promises, he reminds them of what God has done. And I want you to see here that, that in order to move forward for the Lord, that's really, that's all that is necessary for you. Does that make sense? We, we don't need these like super like spiritual pep talks, to be honest with you. Now, I know sometimes like, I need all of this like hype, right? But the Christian life, all you need to move forward for God is just his promises. That's, right. that's all you need. 
You know, we shouldn't be people who always need this, like, hype all the time. You know, you guys understand what I mean by hype, you know? Like, like you got all, like, pumped up to read your Bible, you know? And you're always just like, whoo, whoo, whoo. Now, Christian's kind of like that a little bit. But, but he's got the joy of the Lord as his strength, you know? And, uh, and, and, you know, you don't need to have, like, this, like, you always got to have, like, some inspirational speaker talking to you. And you got to have somebody, you know, telling you how great you are. Listen, you need the promises of God to move forward for God. And that's what we see here. Joshua isn't like, come on, guys, follow me. He's like, God, 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 God. He's the one, the Lord, okay? Now, I think you guys understand. There's already a pattern that we're seeing. Have you noticed the pattern that we see in the passage? The pattern in the passage? That's uh, rhymes, right? The pattern, and the pattern is this. He reminds them of the promises, and then they move forward, okay? We've already seen that in Joshua chapter one as well. Reminder of the promises, look to his faithfulness, look to the past to encourage us to trust and obey him today. And so he explains the process. He talks about how it would be a miraculous thing. Just as God had parted the Red Sea, God would then miraculously part the waters so they could pass into the promised land on dry ground. So the people knew what to expect. They hadn't seen anything happen yet. He had already said, this is how it's going to go. This is how it's going to roll. And now it's go time. So point number two, we see Israel's steps of faith. I put steps because there's two million of them, right? There's a lot. (laughs) Israel's steps of faith. The statement was made. This is what's going to happen. We're going to move forward. And now we come to the steps of faith. Look with me at verse number 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water for Jordan overflowed all his banks at the time of harvest. That was the the thing I mentioned earlier. So, as they, so these guys, the priests, they walk up, and as their feet go into the water, look what happened in verse 16. That the waters that which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, Adam, so towards Adam, that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down, that's the waters, came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, so all the way down to the Dead Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst, right in the middle of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people, people were passed clean over. Yeah, you cannot help but notice that God was fully in control of everything that was happening there that day. I mean, this God was just orchestrating every bit of it. When those priests, when their feet, uh, feet hit the water, it tells us that the waters stopped up at the city called Adam. That is 32 kilometers away. The waters stopped there. And from Adam all the way down to the Dead Sea became a dry passageway for 2 million people to cross over. Again, you know, when you're a little kid and they have those drawings, you know, Israel, it's like they're walking like two by two, you know, and across, you know how long it would take <laughs> two by two or four. I mean, so it was kilometers, kilometers dry. And miraculously, God stopped the waters and dried the ground. You say, oh, it's been so muddy. God dried the ground. As, and so they passed right over on dry ground. That's a very specific detail. Again, talking about the miracle that God was doing. And so they walked and they crossed over. And those priests, they walked and they went. And they sure enough stood in the middle of the Jordan River. <laughs> they stood right there. And I'm sure they were like, well, he was right. <laughs> you know, this is what we're doing. Standing right there in, in the middle. And, uh, and, and then the people then began to cross over. Can you imagine what it would have been like to see that kind of a miracle? (laughs) To be a part of the children of Israel as they walked over and saw this miracle that was so great that no man could ever take credit for this. 
You know, no one was like, whoa, Joshua, he'd been gone for like a month building something. Maybe he built a dam, you know, farther up. No, no, no. This was a miracle that only God could do. And they were experiencing it right there. They were living in the middle of a miracle of God. You know, when it comes to the two crossings of, of the water, the crossing of the Red Sea is a picture of our deliverance from sin. But this crossing of the Jordan River is a picture to us of the believers claiming their new life in Christ. Amen. And here's the thing today for us, as we follow Jesus, our Joshua, right? As we follow Jesus, uh, we can then begin to experience the inheritance that God has planned for us. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I love that first verse there in verse nine. There's no way your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard. It hasn't even come into the heart of you of what God wants to do through those that love him. And as Israel is crossing over, they're just like, this is incredible what God is doing to them, uh, doing for them. And God reveals to us his will through his spirit. And as we keep our hearts right with God, as we remain sanctified as believers and stay clean and open to his leading, you will always find that it leads you to a point of action. And that's what we see here. See that sanctification that took place at the beginning, that statement of faith, it all led to action. And I just got to tell you today, when you are right with God, when you are truly desiring him and you want to know his will, it's always going to lead you to a, a, a place of action in your life, a place of moving forward. And that's what we see. Israel now is moving forward. They have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And here's the sad thing, though. Sometimes Christians wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Let me explain. Too often in the Christian life, we are like Israel in the sense that because we're not willing to sanctify ourselves, because we're not willing to pursue God's fulfilled will for our life, we're not willing to pursue him into the land of possession that he has given for us, we often live years sometimes just wandering aimlessly with no direction. I think if I asked you today to put your hand up, if you've ever felt like you were wandering, wandering aimlessly in the Christian life, we could all put our hands up. I put my hand up. There's been so many moments I'm just like, what am I doing? What's going on? See, that's, that's the picture we see of Israel. They wandered aimlessly. They, they, they were struggling, to, uh, they were struggling to, uh, to move forward. And a big part of it was because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And they were living under that, that punishment. For Christians, though, it's often just because we're not willing to sanctify ourselves. See, that's the beauty of the Christian life is that God's not going to put a curse on you for 40 years. Do you understand that? Because he told us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that, like we saw in Corinthians, we can then see what he has prepared for us. And so while Israel had to deal with this 40 years of punishment from God for you today, all that is necessary for you to move forward is to simply get right with God, to sanctify yourself to go before him and confess your sin, why don't we uh, have him go out and get a drink or something? Because he's just sick. Sorry, Roy, Owen. That's his name. Owen. Go ahead, buddy. He's my son, in case you're new here. It's okay. I can... <laughs> he's just coughing all over Christian in the back of his head, and I know it's going to be kind of... <laughs> Go get a drink of water, buddy. All right. And uh, <laughs> see, I, see, I see all of this stuff. I'm sorry. All of you who sleep and everything, I see it all. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm trying to say? You understand? Okay? It's that sanctification process that's so key to this. And that's the picture we see Israel going through that cleansing process now, able 
to receive the promised land. And so that's where we come to our final point then today. As we move into Joshua chapter number four, we see Israel's stones of faith. So there's the statement of faith that they made. They said, we're trusting in God. We, uh, he's done this before. He's going to do it again. And uh, God's going to provide. And then we see the river opening. Those priests took that step of faith. They stepped in the water and it spread out and they start to cross over. But then there's this really unique aspect of it where we see the stones. Look at verse number, uh, chapter number four now. And I'm going to read verses one through nine. It says, and it came to pass when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan. They were all through. That the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, Take you 12 men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command you them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 12 stones. And you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. And uh, Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared. So they already had this ready to go. Remember, it was mentioned in chapter 3. The men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan, and take ye upon every man of you a stone upon his shoulder. So these were not like a pebble, right? Like, oh, here, put it in my pocket and go. And these are big stones on their shoulder. According unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel for what? Ever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of, the, of Jordan. Now, this is different here. And he took 12 stones and set them up in the middle of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. See, it was important to God, church. It was important to God. And it was important to Joshua that this miracle never be forgotten. This is what we see here. It was important to God and to Israel that this miracle never be forgotten. And so right as they are in the middle of this miracle of God, Joshua gives this instruction for them to go and to grab these stones, these 12 men, and to bring them up out of, uh, out of the river of Jordan, the riverbank there, and go over onto the west side of Jordan. Eventually, they'll take them all the way to a place called Gilgal. And then we see this really interesting thing where jo uh, Joshua himself goes back into the riverbed and he himself, where the priests were standing, builds a, a, a memorial himself of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan River. Now you say, what's the point of that, right? <laughs> because eventually the water's gonna come back. We'll see that in a minute. The water's gonna come back. Why would Joshua go and build a memorial in the middle of the Jordan River? No one's ever gonna be able to see it, right? No one's ever gonna know that it was there. But yet we still see him go and we see him uh, build this little memorial in the, in, the middle of the priest, uh, in the middle of the river. Now, of course, it could have been a memorial for himself, right? It could have just been something that when he stood at the banks of the Jordan, he's like, Yep, I know it's in there, you know, something that I did. And uh, some of you, like if you go to certain parks around the city and you're like, I know there's a tree out here somewhere that has my initials carved in it, right? And uh, okay, people don't do that anymore, I guess. It's har harmful, I think, to trees. So uh, <laughs> I know there's a park bench somewhere out here that has my initials carved in it somewhere. But anyway, uh, so, so uh, you know, for him, it could have been a personal memorial as well. I, I think uh, uh, some of the reading that I did and studying on this passage, I, I think there are some spiritual applications to it as well. I think it is a picture maybe of Israel's old life, right? Of the fact that they had made a break with the past and they were never going to go back to that. 
The monument in the middle of that river reminding them of the fact that their old life was now buried. And as Romans teaches us, that they were now to walk in newness of life. That change that took place. I don't know that maybe it was set up so that later on, not only would parents point to the memorial that was on the, in Gilgal and say, hey, this is what you need to know about kids, but maybe they would also go to the river and say, hey, I want you to know there's also another memorial in the river. You can't see it. You can't see it. But if you believe what I'm telling you by faith, I'm telling you there's a memorial in there that reminds us about our old life and what was, the, what was past and, uh, and the newness that has come over us. I'm not sure exactly why he did it, but it tells us that he put this memorial. Well, now God continues to recap for us what happened during the crossing in uh, verses number 10 through 18. I'll give you just sort of an overview of it. We won't read every verse. And it talks about how the priests had walked through in verse number 10. And when the people were all over in verse number 11, it also remembers and mentions in verse number 12, the three tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. You remember that whole story from Joshua chapter number one, how they didn't have any kids or families to bring with them, but 40,000 armed soldiers went over in front of Israel from those three tribes. They were fulfilling their promise. They had kept their promise to the people. And then in verse number 14, it talks about how the Lord magnified Joshua. And as the people feared Moses and respected Moses, they also feared and respected Joshua as well all the days of his life. What a blessing that was from God to give to him. Verse 15 and 16 then, a detail for us how Joshua was to tell the priests that now everybody was through. And they said, I want you to come up out of the Jordan River. And so he commanded them in verse 17. And then in verse number 18, I want you to read this. I'm going to read it. It says, and it came to pass when the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up onto the dry land that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all its banks as they did before. It's like it never happened. How cool is that? God stopped the waters, and as soon as they came up, you could hear in the distance, well, not actually in the distance, because 32 kilometers away, eventually, you heard the rush of water, and it just, just came back, and it was overflowed, just as it was before, a complete miracle of God. And this whole new chapter in Israel's history had now begun. They'd come out of the desert, they'd set up camp in Gilgal, and it was there that we see Joshua then instruct the men to build the memorial that we read about in Joshua chapter four, verse number 19. It says, and the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. Now it's interesting, Gilgal became a very important place to Israel, a very important place. I think the reason it became such an important place because of what is about to happen right here. And those 12 stones, which they took out of Jordan, did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean these stones? Meaning when your kids come by and they're like, what is up with this pile of rocks, dad? <laughs> then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. He says, this is what you're going to say. We came over this river here on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Verse number 24 is so key to this. That all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. That it is what? Mighty. That ye might fear the Lord your God forever. The stones that have been taken were set up as a memorial 
And that memorial served an important purpose for Israel that we see mentioned here throughout the passage. I want to reference them just very quickly, the purpose of the memorial. First of all, it was a testimony to the power of God. The reason that those rocks were put there is that they were a testimony to the power of God. To to say to others, no one could do what God did on this day. No one else, no man could ever stop the Jordan River in time of flood. Uh, No man could ever do this, create enough time for an entire nation to go across is a testimony to the power of God as well. uh, It was a teaching moment for the next generation. Did you notice that? How many times did he say, I need you to teach this to the next generation? I need you to uh, 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 tell your children about what is going on, about what God has, has done. As well, it was a reminder in days of discouragement. I think this is why Gilgal became such an important place. Their first king was a crown there in Gilgal. So many unique stories of the children of Israel happened in Gilgal, both good and some bad. But I believe one of the reasons was is that it would be a place for them to go to in times of discouragement. And as well, it is to show the world God's love. It is to show the world, it is to show the people of the promised land who were there that time that if someone pointed to it and says, listen, this shows God's love for his people and it also shows God's love for mankind. And so it was a place, it was a memorial, it was a place uh, to uh, help the children of Israel reflect on what God has done. And ultimately to me, the stones uh, pointed to the goodness of God. They pointed to the goodness of God. And for us church this morning, very practically, I want to challenge you with this thought as we close up the message today. I want to challenge you with this thought of having memorials in your life as well. Having memorials in your life as well. See, for the children of Israel, this was, this was a big deal. And we see it throughout their history. They placed memorials to represent great movements of God or things that God has done. And I believe for Christians, it's not a bad thing for us as well to also have memorials that point to the goodness of God. Remember, that's what it was all about. <coughs> Now, I'm not talking about a mound of stones in your front yard <laughs> or going down to English Bay and, you know, balancing and making a stone, you know, a stone balance, a balanced stone there, a stone stack down to English Bay. But having something in your life that reminds you to reflect on what God has done for you. And on top of that, I would encourage you to create a memorial that causes you to tell the next generation about what God has done for you and in your life. It could just be, uh, in some respects, it could just be your words, the way that you talk. Have you ever met somebody who's always talking about the blessings of God in your life? Man, in their life, that's always an encouraging person, isn't it? And so it could be the way that you talk and uh, that you make an effort to speak about God's word, uh, work in your life. It could be uh, maybe a picture or a painting or something in your home that has a story attached to it about God's goodness. Uh, many of you have been to our house and you know above our, the upstairs, the fireplace that we never use, uh, that our landlord said don't use. That's why we don't use it. But above the fireplace there, there's this large painting of Vancouver. And it just looks like a regular painting, you know, but a friend of ours painted that for us and she painted it for us based off of a picture that we used when we were uh, raising support to start this church. And so to me, when I look at that picture, I don't just see, oh, that's a cool picture of Vancouver. Do you know what I see? I see a, 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 I see a picture that represents the very beginning of this church, represents the very beginning of our family stepping out and trying something unique. And so for us, it's something that we can share with our children. And I even sometimes, I grab the card sometimes and I'll show it to people, say, hey, look, that's what it's based off of. And it's because I wanna tell them about what God has done. So for us, that's something in our home. For you, it may be something else. It doesn't have to be a, a physical thing necessarily. But honestly, if we're to look at it from a standpoint today, for some of you, a memorial uh, to, that reminds you and others about the goodness of God and teaches the next generation could just be your social media feed. Think about that for a moment. 
Does your social media feed have evidence of your faith? Or is it just conspiracy theories? what, is your, what does that say about you? Oftentimes I've reflected, you know, uh, recently we had a friend of ours who, who was young, she passed away. And, uh, and, it's, and, and I've been back to her social media feed a se- several times since, since she passed away. And, and just sort of scrolled through it, you know, and looked at uh, pictures of her and of her husband and of her family, you know, and, and, and had memories from that. But I've thought about that. If, if, I, if I died tomorrow and something happened and I left, what would my social media feed tell other people? If people found out that I had died and they looked me up, you know, and they went to my Instagram account, like, what would it, what would it show? Would there be a memorial to the goodness of God, even in these things that we leave behind, right? Think about it. Or would it just be like, whoa, what was up with that guy? <laughs> what was he involved in? Okay. The, the thing is, is that there are several aspects of ways for us to leave a memorial. You can create a journal of the blessings that God has done for you. Write them down. Sit down with your family. Talk about them. Pray about them. It could be just the fact that you live a life of faith, Right? Live a life of faith, of a consistent testimony that points others to Jesus Christ. To me, in my life, one of the greatest memorials that I want to leave behind are other people's lives that have been changed because of what God did through uh, my ministry in some way or through my life in some way. That's all I want. That's the memorial that I want from God is that there's people who know Christ now who did not know Christ before they met me, right? What a memorial to leave behind. It could be uh, as simple, and I just wrote down a bunch of things. I just sort of, uh, just sort of unloaded my brain here. The ways that we can leave memorials behind and, and for the next generation. It could just be, uh, even, even honestly, it, and, and you're saying, oh, here he goes, he's a pastor. But it could just be a financial thing. You recognize that, right? Something that helps secure the future of this church or something that helps uh, secure the future for the next generation of knowing Christ. There's so many things that we can do uh, to get involved in and, and leave a memorial for the next generation. You know, one of the great things about our camp, uh, that the camp ministry that we have and, and the blessing of what we've been able to do um, over the last couple of years is that uh, it has enabled us um, to make a difference and to secure the future for the next 30 years. As you know, our camp's been going for 30 years, uh, uh, over 30 years now, coming up our 35th uh, year this year. And one of the things that we're planning on doing on our 35th year is using the property to memorialize some people who've made a big difference in that camp for 35 years, Right? I don't tell anybody. It's a secret, actually. But, uh, they don't listen to my podcast. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, our, pod- our podcast. But uh, we're, we're trying to find a way to memorialize some people because of what they have given to that place. Does that make sense? Some of them financial. Some of them have just given their lives. And so we, we want to memorialize them for the next generation so that we can one day point to that plaque or point to that, that building and say, hey, let me tell you about this person. Let me tell you about this person who made a difference, who, who cared about the next generation. And so uh, it could just be in your faithfulness as, as well. Now, I know he talks a lot about children. I recognize that, that not everybody has children in here, and I, I understand that fact, okay? But, but I, I want to talk to parents for just a moment today because, listen, for, for kids, for your kids, I hope that your kids ask you questions like, why do we go to church? Not, why do we go to church? Okay, they, that's, that's usually how it starts. <laughs> But later on, they might ask you in a more uh, uh, mature way, why do we go to church, Dad? Why do we? I hope that you can then give an answer for that, right? right. A memorial. I hope that your life of faithfulness respects that. Dad, uh, why do you read the Bible every day? Mom, why do you read, uh, read the Bible? Why do, you, why do you spend time in prayer every day? Uh, why do you give to the church? Why do you support missionaries? Why do we do these things? You see what's happening? Just like those kids walk by those rocks and say, hey, Dad, what's with the pile of rocks? 
that your kids would look at your life and your faithfulness and say, hey, what's with the faithfulness? <laughs> hey, what's with the Bible reading? That you can then illustrate to your children what it is that God is doing. And you have that memorial set up. Regardless of what it is, memorials help us to remember God's work in our lives. They encourage us to be faithful to him in the future. Because if we're honest, we so quickly forget the goodness of God, don't we? We so quickly forget the goodness of God. And we've got to have those memorials in my life, in our, in our lives. It's been great to see recently, some of you have posted some things about, about what God's doing in your life, and I think that's great. And I remember uh, um, uh, recently, uh, uh, Elena, you and I were talking, and, and when we started the Psalm 73 thing, she says, I have that verse written out next to my, my bed. You know what that is for her? That's a memorial for her. It's something that she can look at and remember the faithfulness of God. And for us, it's not just about, uh, it's not just about big, huge expressions of, of faith or mem uh, memorial, but what it is is just having things in our life that point us to Christ. Things in our life that remind us about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And memorials, there's nothing wrong with having memorials in our life. I'm not talking about a, a house full of idols. I think you understand that, right? <laughs> you know, like, this little Buddha reminds me that Jesus loves me, you know? <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> and this, whatever, it's not about like, having little, like, idols all around your home, you know? Um, <laughs> but the next generation needs reminders of what God has done in the past. And the purpose of it is so that we can strengthen other people's faith, so that your strength can be faith, uh, strengthened in those times of discouragement, in those times where we really need God. I want to ask a question this morning. Do you desire to move forward in your Christian life? That's a pretty simple question, right? Do you desire to move forward in your Christian life? Ask yourself that question. Do I desire to move forward in your Christian life, or am I just all good where it's at right now? Now, the way you answer that reveals a lot about your heart, just like that. And, and I know some of you are saying, I'm totally overwhelmed. This is all I can do right now. Okay, okay. I'm not saying you do something now. I'm saying, does your heart desire, right? Because if you truly desire to move forward in your walk with Christ, God will give you that opportunity. And he'll give you the strength and he'll give you the ability to make it happen. God will do that for you. Do you desire to move forward? Is there a hunger in your heart to know God better? Uh, do you want to see God work through you in amazing ways in your life? These chapters here give us some very clear instruction how to experience that. We must be willing to sanctify ourselves. We must be willing to follow God's direction regardless of where it may lead. And sure, there are gonna be some rivers that seem impossible to cross that will come your way, guaranteed, guaranteed. But if God has led you there, if God has brought you to that place, would you be like those priests that it wasn't until they took that first step, until they got their sandals wet, <laughs> that something started to happen? And God is often just right there and he's just saying, take that step of faith. Take that step of faith. And then God just swoops in and does something incredible. And he clears that path and he makes your way known. And then he'll do something that only he can do. And when that happens, you'll experience a victory that needs to be memorialized in your life. <laughs> you really will. You'll experience that. You'll experience that. And I recognize that sometimes when we talk about memorials and Sometimes when we talk a lot about God's, you know, great work, sometimes people say, I just don't have any memories of God's work in my life. I just, I can't pinpoint a thing that he's done. I can't pinpoint some unique thing, some miracle that he's done. Can I, I I'm going to say this super kindly. Maybe you just aren't walking by faith. Maybe it is that you're just not, you've never taken a step of faith, right? We are to walk by faith and not by sight, scripture tells us. 
And the person who's walking by faith will have memories to memorialize, guaranteed. You will have stories of God's victory. And it may be that you just need to get your eyes off of this world and your eyes on Christ for him to reveal to you that contentedness that Julius talked about earlier. But we need to walk by faith and see what God is doing. Here's, here's what it comes down to. If you want to claim your spiritual inheritance in Christ, you need to believe the word of faith and just get your feet wet. <laughs> Step out in a walk by faith and God will open the way for you. Surrender yourself to him. Die to that old life. And God will bring you into that place and he'll give you, as Deuteronomy tells us, days of heaven upon the earth. <laughs> days of heaven upon the earth when God is doing something very, very unique and special. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Bank City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will.